This is episode 30, Chris? Episode 30. It's kind of crazy to think that we've made it this far, Tim, and we haven't... Uh... We haven't given up the given given it up yet, but it's all really it's all really the work you've done. Well, you and I together, but I, we have good news. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your new location that oh, you're opening yes, up right across you. the street from Beehive Zone. Be, or well, Beehive Zone is opening this week, right, Tim? Is that what yes, you're saying? So I, I met with them today. I went there. I toured the facility. They are uh, they're doing a little soft opening tomorrow, and then they'll be open Saturday to the public. So. When this goes out, if this goes out on Friday, then yes, the the very next day, Beehive Zone is opening. And I am opening a clinic, a Utah Therapeutic Health Center, utahmarijuana.org, education and information right across the street from Beehive Zone, right there on 3600 West, um, just off the 201. So literally, if you stand on Beehive Zone front porch, and look across the street there, we will be. Monday, 12 to 6 is the first uh, clinic times, and I'll be there myself. Yeah, seeing patients. I'm excited about it, Chris, because the West Side doesn't have anything like this. There's a lot of people that are in Tooele that come up to Salt Lake that I think I think it's going to be great. It's going to ex- expand access to I, what I consider to be legitimate evaluations, education about medical cannabis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're super excited. Do you think it'll help you being across the street from, from beehives like that? I mean, it's, this isn't like Venice beach where it's like, Hey, come on in, get your, you know, your recommendation. No, I think you know. right now. Yes. So because you have this letter system, you can go, you could see me in clinic on Monday and then you could walk right across the street to beehive zone and you could go buy product in the dispensary or the pharmacy. So until the end of the year, It'll be extremely beneficial for patients to have immediate access. After the first of the year, we'll have to see. The legislature hasn't, you know, given us any indication they're going to extend the letter program. Uh, we're going to have to figure it out. But I think, you know, talking with them today, the the important things for us are legitimacy, education. You know, they'll have some place to send people with questions. You know, they don't, they can't refer to me, but they can you know, we obviously have information that they may not have. So, you know, we can work in partnership, which I think will be good. It'll be beneficial for both of us. Yeah, no, I'm excited to check the new place out, but let's, uh, we have a special guest here today. I actually want to, I'm excited to talk to Stormy Simon today because I actually listened to a podcast a few months back. I want to say it was Cannabis 101. Were you on that podcast, Stormy? I think you were. I think that's I where was. I was yeah. listening to that podcast. And I was like, what the heck? She's from Utah. I mean, I think at the time you were the CEO of High Times. Now you're the former CEO of High Times. But I was like, get out of town. That mean you you made me proud that you're from Utah and you were out there, uh, you know, spreading the good word with High Times magazine. I mean, gosh, I've been reading that for 25 years. You know, sure. it's been around for a while. Uh, I mean, you're the Plus, so- you've been asking like we've been talking about this for a few months, Chris. Bring it, stormy on. Yeah, I mean, well, I remember no, I when like, we write when we first had our meetings about yeah. brainstorming who could we get on the podcast, and Stormy Simon was right on the top ten list. Yeah, well, let me give you a little bit of a history about Stormy Simon for our listeners. The quick synopsis: You were the former president of Overstock.com, former CEO of High Times, and then you decided to come back to Utah to uh, run for Utah House of Representatives to represent District Twenty One. I mean, is that? Is that the quick version or, or, or uh, 
What's... That's a super quick version. I never really, <laughs> I never really left Utah. So you never left Utah. I didn't leave. No, I since I left Overstock, I've always, you know, Utah's always been my home. It'll probably always be my home. But uh, I went around to a couple different states and checked out this industry, this emerging industry. What? Um, so you're the president of Overstock.com. And That's just- a bigger story. So I, I started at Overstock in uh, late 2001 uh-huh. in the temp. And then through the course of, you know, 100 employees to 2,000 employees, I built just about every department there and um, created amazing, you know, an amazing workforce, a very diverse workforce. More diverse, I think, I say this often, that Utah had ever seen at the time. And um, over the course of 12 years, became president and held that position for three, three and a half years. And then I left. Yeah, so it was a great story there. I mean, to be in e-commerce, and that was part of, you know, ex- exploring cannabis was doing something that had never been done before. You know, here we were in Utah creating e-commerce before e-commerce was a term. Um, nobody knew people were going to adopt shopping online like the way they did, but there was a group of people in Utah that put this together and made it, made it happen. And I was one of them. When was this approximately? What year was that? 2001. 2001. Wow. So 19, I mean, I remember Overstock, right? Yeah. It was, it was such a big thing. Yeah. In the beginning, it was such a small thing. The first year when I first started, it was the, and the year ended with 18 million. And when I left, it was almost 2 billion. Oh my gosh. So do you, are you comparing now, like back in your statement here, are you comparing the cannabis like space to overstock? I'm comparing the idea of stepping into something that nobody knew what it would be. You know, cannabis, the destigmatization of cannabis as a plant and the idea that states were getting ahead of the federal government was something that I was really drawn to, you know, I believe in cannabis as a medicine. I believe in it. We can talk about that and my affiliation to the plant. However, the idea that we would experience a prohibition in our lifetime um, was something I needed to participate in. I just thought, when, when could this happen again, um, where the states are outpacing the federal government and hashtags and grassroots are pushing the federal government to act? And we don't see that often. We don't see it often. We've seen it a lot more since we can digitally connect as humans. But uh, what we're experiencing with cannabis is, you know, just as a society, not in regards to utilization of the plant, is pretty phenomenal. And to be a part of it has been something I'm really proud of. Yeah, you're talking about the democratization of medicine, essentially, right? Like as you push information and the Arab Spring, things like that, where the grassroots movements create change at the federal level. Like that's what we're seeing with cannabis medicine now. Yes. And I mean, you know, when you have moms that have sick children and they don't have federal attention for things that are working for them, it's disgusting. Yeah. So how did you transition from Overstock? Did you go right from Overstock to High Times? No, I actually went to Denver. I was, you know, I learn hands-on, like from the bottom up. I love getting my hands dirty. I have an untraditional path to the presidency of Overstock. And I viewed my entry into the cannabis industry the same way. At the time, 2016, I think 
Washington and Denver were the two adult usage states. And I personally do believe in the civil right of this for people to have plants in their backyard. Um, and that's tomatoes, cucumbers, cannabis. And although I that is not my platform as I run for office. I am happy that it's a medicine. That's where it needs to be. I was really curious as to how that would work in a state when the federal government still considered it a crime and we're still imprisoning people for that very, very thing. Still people in Denver or Colorado are in prison for nonviolent cannabis crimes today, yet a 21-year-old can walk in a store and buy it. Um, so I went to Denver and joined a uh, medicinal only two dispensaries that were medicinal only and a 90,000 square foot grow or cultivation center and really learned the life cycle of a plant, how it came into a patient's hands, the laws that surrounded it, the tools and technologies that were used to track it. But more importantly, through that experience, I met patients and I spent my time uh, talking to people, learning about young folks that had moved to Colorado because they had um, irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease. And they would be, you know, 27 years old and say, I can't live a life of pharmaceuticals. I came here to grow this plant, to learn about it and medicate myself in the way that I feel more comfortable with. And these were young people. Um, and they gave me an extreme education about the power and, uh, the need for cannabis as a medicine. Um, th also throughout that experience, I met people of every age with so many, such a variety of illnesses that would make it into the dispensary for their medicine. And it was, it was eye-opening in ways that I, I had never thought would happen. Sure. I feel that same thing in Utah, seeing patients. Like it, it's never, it's always surprising, I should say, because the stories of people changing their lives with something that's non-traditional is fascinating. I didn't really expect. Yeah, it's odd that we would call a plant non-traditional and any type of pharmaceuticals traditional. Right. Um, yeah, plants are the most traditional thing that we have. In fact, if you go back through the studies of cannabis, which I dug deep into, you know, this plant has been used as a medicine on every single continent for thousands of years. You know, we had Chinese emperors using it for one thing, the Queen of England using it for something else. I think in a Taiwanese village, there was a textile found that was 10,000 years old. So the most traditional of all medicines is what was suppressed by our government in the 30s. Right. What, uh, when you left Overstock.com, did you leave it to get involved in the cannabis industry? Yeah, I actually did. My time there, you know, was 15 years. Mm -hmm. And it was done. We had done, you know, we were at $2 billion and my next steps were CEO or chairman and neither one of those, well, I shouldn't say neither one of those were attractive. Of course they were attractive, but the idea that something new, again, if people, you know, the historic nature of what is happening with this plant in regards to the states electively choosing, the people of the states electively choosing before the federal government will acknowledge that this plant can be more beneficial and, and is safer than so many things that they allow us to put into our bodies is heroic. These states are heroic. What I was curious of is overstock.com to cannabis. I'm wondering, did you get a lot of people being like, what the heck is she doing? 
Yeah. I mean, cannabis, I mean, this was a few years ago, so it's, I mean, it's gradually getting a better stigma. It still doesn't have the best stigma, but I'm sure even back then it even had a worse stigma. So. No, that's a great point. I'm glad you pointed it out. It was very surprising to me. Yeah. Um, the stigma and the, I mean, almost hands off that came with that. You know, here I thought the whole world, every human would be interested in learning about alternative medicines or, you know, deconstructing the stigmatization of this plant. And I thought, gosh, everyone should be so excited of where we are in our history with this. It's a holistic medicine. And what I found was there are, you know, there were a lot of reefer madness beliefs um, four years ago. It's been four years that it kind of made me an outcast, even in the industry that I was in. And I, I wasn't prepared for that. I really thought that, you know, people would be open to this, to this idea of plants as a medicine. You know, it's like something the GNC um, Cannabis grows, lavender grows, you know, basil is very healing for your body, turmeric, all of those things are plants. And, you know, when you, again, have these anecdotal miracle stories, which I've met the people and have met the children and worked with them on, here is a child with a tumor. When cannabis is added to their treatment, the tumor shrinks or maintains when cannabis is removed as a treatment, that tumor will grow. And let's have the science to prove why. Um, we should be celebrating this moment. Let's have the science behind it. Let's get, you know, let's create an equitable market. Let's get ahead of the pharmaceutical companies, just like we have the federal government. Why do you think there's still pushback? Do you think it's lack of education or do you think it's, it's fear uh, from like the big pharmaceuticals or why do you think there's still pushback? Kind of like you said, why aren't more people excited? It's like, what's going on here? Why aren't we getting excited more about this? I think there is a, a lack of education and it's nobody's fault. It's not because people are ignorant. It's because the truth has been, has not been told. Yeah. You know, it's out there and you can find it about when, you know, the Marijuana Tax Act happened and how it became very hard for doctors to prescribe this, or at least dangerous for them to describe, prescribe it when they would be fined. And then also our Senate and, you know, Anslinger, if you guys have traced this story, Harry Anslinger and Rockefeller and Hearst, all playing a role in the suppression, not only of uh, cannabis as a medicine, but also hemp as a as a tool, right? Whether that be fabric, plastic, all of the things that hemp can do. It's the most versatile plant, I think, potentially on the planet. You know, I don't know all plants. I don't consider myself a botanist, but, you know, the versatility of hemp is incredible. And that also was suppressed and restricted and all of those things. So when you learn about how it was used as a tool, almost to create a privatized prison system as well, that's one set of facts. The second set of facts is like in the 1990s, our body was named the endocannabinoid system. That's what it was named. We have an endocannabinoid system. Cannabinoid, you know, the plant was named first. Cannabis is a plant. Cannabinoids were named first. Our body, a system within our body was named after that plant. And why is that? Well, you know, I'm sure scientifically, and Tim, you may be able to speak more to this as a, as a um, prescriber, but, you know, scientifically, our matrix match, our matrix match, 
each other somehow. So when we say CBD, you take it and it goes and helps your endocannabinoid system, we're not guessing. There's a scientific piece to that that makes that true. Now, what we are lacking is the true research to say, why does that work for one person miraculously and not for the other? And that's where I think, you know, the excitement of figuring this out later as, as you know, the science becomes uh, recognized by the federal government, that's, that's a very exciting thing because we already have a, a, a system in our body named after the plant. This plant should be able to help us on many, many things once, uh, once, once we can look into it. Absolutely. Did all of this come from your, like all of this knowledge, this is all really self-taught, like everybody who's in the cannabis space or, or knows anything about it. There's a few schools out there now. How did this translate? How did your experience in Denver translate into the high times? Well, from Denver, I joined the board of a, once I was, I had that experience in Denver where it was just patients and, you know, literally hours and hours and hours of researching and reading everything that I could find online, um, reaching out to different doctors within the industry who have been fighting for veterans with PTSD and fighting for this as a medicine on many different levels, um, meeting all of those people and just getting as much information as I possibly could. I knew this world was bigger. Um, there was another piece of it that really bothered me, and that was banking. How, how these businesses, so business is not easy, right? There's a lot of things you have to jump through. Business is not federally regulated, a little bit harder. So people who are that committed to getting this plant into people's hands, right? Business owners that are very committed to assuring people have access to this plant. Um, also, not only do are they watched, more regulated than anything. They got a ton of loopholes that would be another three hours. But, and Tim, you can probably speak to some of those. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty insane. It's insanity, right? Extra taxes, all of the things just treated unfairly. The banking issue, right? So in Denver, we were paying like $7,000 or something ridiculous to put our money in a bank, in what? a credit union. Yeah. I mean, you had a big fee based on how much money you put in. Um, I may have, you know, the details don't have to be exact, but I'm really close. It's so a, yeah. you have to put every penny in that credit union, everything tracked in order for you to put your money in that credit union. Now, that was four years ago. That kind of got with me, like, how can this be so difficult? Everybody's paying cash, and we've got this digital way to bank, and we've got five large banks handling, you know, 60% of the country's money, right? It doesn't seem right. So I joined a group that had a license with a blockchain technology and a point-of-sale system that had onshore accounts to where we could um, introduce into dispensaries a consumer payment the way they always pay, credit cards and debit cards, and also um, a tracking system for dispensary owners, a digital tracking system. So it wasn't, you know, another full-time job just to make sure every penny lined up and every dollar. And um, then you have a 22-year-old driving $10,000 into a into a bank of whatever that meant and the unsafety along the way there. Like literally in Denver, we had a kid that would pick up this money and I would think, He's not in an armored car. He's just a guy riding his Toyota, you know, and there, he would always come at different times on different days. And so there was never a schedule and it was cloaked. Of course, we wouldn't talk about who picked the money up or what he drove or that was his job. 
all of that. And it seemed ridiculous. And I joined a group in um, San Diego to learn a little bit more about that. And we were successful in doing such. And we got it in about 10 dispensaries across a few different states, that payment system. And in so from there, I also had joined the board of Canna Kids, which is exactly a mother who founded a company providing medicine in the state of California to, you know, it's Canna Kids, self-explanatory. Her daughter has tumors. Um, cannabis has been successful for her. It has, you know, just a beautiful story. Her name's Sophie Ryan is a little girl. I met her when she was probably three. She's eight years old. She just had her eighth birthday. She's amazing. And her mother and father are incredible when, you know, you think of the fight they've done and what they've really done to move the needle. They've done an incredible job. Um, Joined their board, met another uh, mom who has a daughter that has a a far more aggressive type of cancer and tumor, Um, Mariah Barnhart. She's out of Florida. Her daughter's Dahlia. And, you know, she takes her daughter to St. Jude. But what they, she had a group called Canna Moms that would get medicine to moms in need, risking it all, but understanding why, because they'd seen the results. Um, so I worked with, you know, with Tracy as on her advisory board for quite some time. And I had also joined the board of High Times. So I was on the board of High Times for a couple years before joining them as CEO. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I had a. I also got a license in um, Pennsylvania as CEO and elected not to work with the group there. And part of that was um, I was here in Utah. I wasn't comfortable because of this not being regulated. You, you just need to be very aware of who you're working with and how that goes and how they're spending their money and where the money is coming from. And you know, I, it was a great thing to be awarded the license, but not being willing to move to Pennsylvania created an uncomfortability for me that uh, I didn't, I didn't stick with it. I let them do whatever it is they've done at this point. And um, then I joined High Times in January out of an absolute need that the company had at the time. Right. Did you have fun there? Did you have fun at High Times? You know, High Times was really interesting. Um, They were pivoting into, so I had become an extreme advocate uh, for this plant as a medicine. And then also everything else that the company, the country has been experiencing, you know, how I viewed high times was, you know, a trumpet to blow the horn and spread a word that may not be the most popular word, or perhaps, you know, these issues and hashtags that we see today, they are, you know, they were purchased in March of 2017 um, from the original owners or pretty original owners, the OGs. Mm-hmm. Oh, been there long enough to call them originals and uh, was purchased by a group then. And they were, you know, pretty much interested in creating the dispensaries that they're on path with today. And uh, while the magazine, I think is back in print, I know I had taken a hiatus is, you know, it's still spreading the stories of cannabis. I felt like it wasn't, it wasn't you know, I was more of an advocate at that point. The dispensaries were are great and important. The medicine is more important. And then I was running for office in Utah. So that happened as well. I think the the COVID, the pandemic probably kept me there just a little bit longer. You know, when I joined as uh, CEO, I had told them I'm most likely running for office in uh, Utah so this could be a really hard thing to do, but we can navigate it for six months, right? Was, I can step in for six months and we'll see how it goes. And that, 
that's how it played out. It was just under six months and the pandemic was caught everybody by surprise, right? So figuring out what that even looked like was difficult. So is this your first time running for a political office then? Yes. What made you want to do that? Well, a lot of the story I just told, but cannabis is not my platform. Utah's my home. Um, When I look at myself, there's been a piece that's always been slightly outcast for me in Utah. You know, my family's from Chicago. We have a very colorful um, religion shouldn't count anywhere that you stand. But, you know, it's often the first question I'm asked about Utah or within Utah. And looking up at politicians today and thinking, you know, even as I was younger, like, oh, I could never do that. I'm not one of them. And then as you get older, you realize, no, you are. You're a U.S. citizen. That's your right. You absolutely, we all are one of them. It's how we elect to behave ourselves. Should we become someone with that title? I am not a fan of the Utah State Legislature overriding any vote, any vote of the Utah's voice. Not a single one, not a compromise on any proposition. If you want to put forth a bill and we want to vote yes or no, that should be end of story. They tend to go back and adjust just a few times with Medicaid expansion, cannabis, of course, as well as uh, the food tax. So there are, I'm, I'm against that as a people and a citizen of the state. And so when you see the need for change and diversity, we have a very supermajority on the Hill, both in gender and in party. There is a need for, and if you include the, the entire legislature, I think there's 105 seats, 100, 106 maybe, I think it's 106. That's bothering me. It might be 104, whatever it is, just over 100. <laughs> You know, we've got 26 women and now people go, oh, that's good. If that's not. Yeah, but how many, what's the percentage in population of Utah of women? Is it 26%? No. Exactly. Right? That's the point. Yeah. I well, mean, and the point is we're 50% of a gender. That's right. You know, we're 50%. Just because we weren't written into the U.S. Constitution when it was created 243 years ago, and just because we've only been able to vote for 100 years of that you know, doesn't mean that our voices aren't equal to and should be, they should be equal to. Now, is that women not running for office? Could be, but that was also part of what I wanted to accomplish was the idea that we get to be different. We get to be, all of us get to be different. And each one of us are, regardless of gender, religion, or, you know, what state we live in, we get to be. And we all belong. Like I said in the beginning, that diverse group of people that came together at Overstock and made something so incredible, every voice was listened to. Every voice mattered. And I know that diversity can create a greater good. And I know when people vote, it matters. And there's not a group of 75 or 105 people that are smarter than the collective good. Right. Talk to us a little bit about that. Like, I mean, we had talked a little bit about the the compromise with the cannabis bill before we started recording. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Are, are you, you know, the the public voted for a proposition and then immediately, I mean, they already knew they were going to do a compromise before it even passed. And the argument is, and the argument I've been told 
for from a lot of people is that the essentially the leaders of this society, the the people with the money, the essentially the church primarily did not come out against proposition 2 because the compromise was going to be they were they said okay if you're willing to compromise we won't fight it but if you don't agree to a compromise we'll fight it and we'll kill it do you believe that um i was in a meeting where i was told that before the vote happened so what are your thoughts on on that and and how this all played out here's my thoughts on that situation i am happy that Utah has cannabis as a medicine. I am very, very happy. I'll take the small bites. I understand taking small bites to eat an elephant. I get it. It's very important that we are where we are. So I am grateful that we are where we are. Um, What I would say about that is so much time and effort went into creating that proposition, right? So much time and effort, like what should this line say? And what should this line say? And people put time and energy into putting forth a vote in front of uh, Utah citizens. Utah citizens then read about it, vote on it. And it was all like a dog and pony show. You know, what was the point? Those are our tax dollars going up to the legislature, right? Everybody gets paid. And then the effort of Utahns to go vote, just tell us what you want as a citizen, as a constituent, show me what you're going to do and let me vote on that. Now, would the vote have changed? I don't know. But I believe the laws should be a little more expansive with cannabis within our state as far as ailments and licenses. However, I am happy that we have a first step. I would oppose if the Utah legislature proposed everybody's grass has to be painted blue, like your lawn has to be blue every single day. That's the new law. And if the people in Utah said, we agree, and then the legislator went, well, that's ridiculous. Grass is green. Of course, it's going to be green. I would disagree with that. I would say, no, everybody should paint their grass. That's what you asked. We said yes. So... So that's my point on compromising any law that we have. The cannabis issue, I feel like they could have proposed exactly what it is today, whatever they compromised. Within 30 days later, they were adjusting this. 30 days of our voice. Why not just propose what you wanted in the first place and let us vote on that? It wouldn't, I mean, why? It doesn't make any sense to me. In theory, right, you put two bills together and you two proposals together and you let the people vote on either one. You're going to pass one. They get to choose. You get this one where you don't get to grow any medicine. You know, you have these ailments and blah, blah, blah. And then you have what we now have, right? This list of ailments, no home grows, no cultivation at home, that type of thing. And people get to vote on it. And then let's see. Let's see which one the people want, right? That's that's essentially what you're saying. Well, what I'm saying is if they were going to make the decision for us, you know, they proposed a plan that was more expansive where people said, yes, we should be able to grow at home. Yes, I agree with that. We have a rural, you know, they could be costing people their lives because I've seen this at work. You know, I've seen the plan at work on people. So they offer this expansive program in Utah, like our citizens, accept it and say, yes, we will. 
and they restrict it anyway, offer a restricted program. Offer what you're going to allow up front. You know, why not just write the bill as they controlled it to be today? Why not propose that as a vote? Because the expanded program was a yes. The shortened program would have also been a yes. So, but it would what, have been, but a, it would have felt a little more truthful. Well, it would have been truthful. Right. It would have been truthful. What they proposed us was not what they had us vote on. And, you know, as a result, you know, there are people that say their loved ones passed because it wasn't done in the end with them in mind. It was done with other people in mind, people who may not even elect to utilize cannabis or plant medicine at all. And that's where it's, you know, as Utahns, that's insulting. We're smart. You know, this is a smart society. We are really engaged people. We are smart enough to make decisions and smart enough to understand what it means when we vote yes on something. And the idea, and I think Governor Herbert said, we know better. Well, no. So as a state legislator, I don't need to agree with the vote. I don't need to agree with the majority of the vote. But what I will promise is I will never vote to do something other than what was proposed if the people vote yes. So is that what's next for Stormy Simon, this political this transition to a political career or what's next? Um, Well, the vote, you know, we're right in the middle. The ballots are out and the vote needs to happen. You know, I'm in a very red County. I'm running as a Democrat. Uh, I'm outspoken with my views. I believe strongly in what I say. And I mostly believe in people and connecting people And this campaign has, while I don't consider myself a politician, I think that's most important that none of us should. We should consider ourselves wanting to construct our state, our country in the best way possible that is right for the citizens that elect to pay their taxes in our state, which is led by their voice. It is their voice, not 75 people's voice up on a hill. It's everybody else that actually matters. And, you know, I learned that at Overstock or any leadership position I've been in. Like, yeah, I can steer the ship, but if somebody's not raising the sail and pulling up the anchor and feeding the troops and doing all those things, it's just all I'm doing is like steering a wheel. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really help without the people that are actually doing the work. And I view that the same way. I, a career politician... I've rarely kept a career, 15 years in e-commerce, 16 years in e-commerce, four years in the cannabis industry. I was three years in a radio industry. You know, would I evolve through politics and maybe take different, different roles perhaps? But this has been the hardest thing I've ever done. Out of everything that I've mentioned, I've never been more vulnerable. I've never been more attacked. And it makes me extremely sad and even more dedicated to try to get elected because we need to get along. There's no reason to attack a citizen that's contributed and paid a a good amount of taxes here in the state of Utah because I've decided to raise my hand to try to progress a society. Doesn't make me a socialist. Doesn't make me, um, let's see what else have I been called, a radical communist. I've been called many names simply because I decided to put a D next to my name 
And that is heartbreaking to me, not only in Utah, but in America. You know, I knew what I was up against, but I had no idea what I was up against. The website? What is what is the website so people can go uh, check that out with Stormy? What is yeah, that? Vote, votestormysimon.com. I mean, that's the, that's the site you, Stormy, is that the site you would want to You'd want me to tell people to go to, right? That's I mean, the site for my um, for my campaign, and right. it outlines some of my issues. And not even, you know, we put this site together, and then you start digging in and learning about. Hey, last year the state legislature just legislature just voted to allow more nuclear waste in our backyard here in Utah. There are right. votes going on that you know we need to be aware of and be voicing and get our grassroots together as a state. We've got water issues. We've got inland ports. We've got all kinds of things happening right now. And it's important that citizens get involved. Um, I have another website, stormysimon.com, that has my podcast, uh, Lunch with Stormy. And I'm also doing a Lunch with Stormy Liberty editions that are launching this Friday, where I've spoken to people within the political arena, various parties, various roles, nonpartisan people that will be launching and, and releasing maybe three or four episodes per week through the election. Yeah, this is a pretty cool site as well, stormysimon.com. Yeah, I just pulled up your podcast. I don't know why, you know, I didn't even realize you did a podcast. I'm on season two, my Liberty Edition yeah. is season two. The second one up here, An Epic Journey with Tommy Chung. I need yeah, to check on this now. one I mean, out. Yeah, we got to check out A Visionary Woman. with. No, this is great, Stormy. Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon gave me his endorsement as a candidate and he's on the other side of the aisle. You know, it's, we need to vote people, not party. And um, we can't forget that. We cannot forget that as a society. We are, um, the antics of our politics right now are distracting. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, listeners of our show should get out if they're in vote for you, if they can, you know, and District uh, 21. District 21, votestormysimon.com. You can donate to her campaign. Yep. Yeah. And I know cannabis isn't your platform, but I mean, the fact that you still believe that it's medicine is enough for me to want to vote for somebody like you. So thank you. It is medicine. Yeah. And, and it's important that we talk about it because it breaks down the stigma, right? Yeah. We, can't, we can't continue to have it. It's not the devil's lettuce, I think it was called, or and things the like that. The devil's lettuce, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a medicine, and if you take eucalyptus, eucalyptus, and run it, rub it on your chest when you, you know, are congested, it is a plant happens to grow like a weed with many benefits and one cannabinoid. You know, there's one piece of it that will alter. You know, get you high. That's one of many. We have learned to extract it. There's studies that have been going on in Israel for decades that have broken this plant down to amazing proportions. And that's where, you know, we need to get as a country. So the more we talk about it, the, the more people feel safe. And I understand that, you know, my mom was very scared of it. She grew up in a reefer madness world. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, by the time she passed, she was an advocate. It's awesome. That is awesome. Well, I, I mean, I think that the listeners, the important things that I think I've seen today, and I would totally endorse you and, and vote for you in District 21, no question. And here's why. Because we have had a we have had an open and honest conversation 
about your history. Not once have I heard you badmouth or put down your opponents, the other side of the aisle. You have you have simply been a pleasure to talk to, and uh, yeah, I hope that uh, I hope that people really that this is the beginning of something new for you and a, a good conversation for people to have because I think you're just the right person to get involved in our political system, especially in Utah. That means the world to me. It really does. It really, really does. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us, what where is the podcast available? Mine's on Apple Podcast or anywhere else. You can go to uh, stormysimon.com and listen to it there as well. Um, starting on Friday, we have Sarah Riggs Amico, who is, she ran as Lieutenant Governor with Stacey Abrams in uh, first female only ticket in Georgia. Fascinating. They did not win, but very fascinating as to the advocacy that this woman has started. She's got a big business background and has done amazing things within Georgia. Simply by running, she changed the conversation. The narrative is important. Um, next, I believe we'll have Lennox Samuels, who is a editor on an award, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, written series in journalism called Violence Against Women from 1994. He's lived abroad for many years. He's been on uh, the war field in Iraq, Somalia, um, lived through the tsunamis while he reported from them. He is a fascinating person, and he'll follow shortly uh, next week. And then we have Didi Sorvino, who was a Fox News pundit. She is very Republican. She is amazing to talk to, such a hoot, and married to Paul Sorvino. And, oh, I also talked with the I Voted folks that do a concert on election night, Emily White. And she, you know, the reason that they started this I Voted series, you know, in 2018, they did a concert in person, and now they're doing it virtual. But they're able to involve bands from across not only every state, which is what they tried to get, but also across the world. And there's a way for everybody to to be able to view the concert. You don't even have to be 18 years old. Um, It's something, again, that I think will bring us all together. It's I Voted Festival or IVotedConcerts.com. Um, so that's part of them. You know, it's a really cool, different way to look at politics and the people that are behind the scenes making it happen. It's not just your politicians or those who get the titles in office. There's a lot of folks that are worthy. And that's uh, Lunch with Stormy, the Liberty Editions. Yeah. So go subscribe to that. However you're subscribed to this one, I'm sure you could find that podcast as well. Uh, anything else you want to mention, Stormy, before we wrap this episode up? Um, I just want to say, be kind, everybody, like there's room for all of us here. We need to show a little more love and understanding and, and not so much hate just because, you know, who we vote for, it's just unnecessary. And we're all proud to be American. And, um, I just want people to have more peace, love and happiness in their life and not worry so much about what other people think. Absolutely. And especially right now, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in the world and, and a lot of people need better vibes, you know? So Tim, how can people get a hold of you, buddy? What's, uh, I know you mentioned your website at the beginning, but uh, yeah, what, I mean, what do we got? It's basically utahmarijuana.org. Don't forget to uh, check us out next week. We've got, uh, you know, pharmacy dispensary pages launching so you can uh, learn about all the open pharmacies in Utah. Uh, that'll be exciting. Again, a uh, new clinic opening up in West, uh, West Valley, uh, how about you, Chris? 
Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, I Am Salt Lake Podcast, IamSaltLake.com. Uh, the next episode that's actually going up uh, this next Monday is fun. We're going to talk all about uh, the best donut shops in Utah. So make sure to tune into that episode. Uh, it was a really fun conversation uh, with this Utah donut blogger. My mind is blank on his name. I apologize if he's listening to this, but it was such a fun conversation. Talk about all these rad donut shops in, in the oh, valley. Oh, that's pretty here, cool. So. So I am saltlake.com. All right, everybody. Stay safe out there.